Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Today we have with us Chef Nini Nguyen. She's had an amazing culinary career that took her to more than one season of the hit show Top Chef. We're thrilled to talk with her today and hear about her love for New Orleans and her Vietnamese heritage. Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge. And my co-host today is Delani, an eighth grader from PS46. Delani, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm 13. I live in New York. And I'm here to ask Nini some questions about her cooking journey. So tell us some of the exciting things you're doing at school and what you love about being part of New York Edge. Art, dance, and STEM. I hope you're going to say cooking, right? No, I'm just teasing you. I, yes, I cook a little bit. Okay, well, it's time for us to bring in our guest. We are so thrilled to have Nini Nguyen with us today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Delani, what's your first question for Nini? What age did you start cooking and what was your first dish? I started cooking when I was very young. My family is very close-knit and my grandmother cooked a lot and we used to go to the market and buy things. And on weekends, we'd make special dishes and she would always give me all the credit, even though she would always make it. It's a, such a happy memory because I think that's where I started the love of feeding people. One dish that I really think of is bánh bao, which is a steam bun that's filled with meat and eggs and sausage. And she would make all the ingredients. It was my job to roll it into a bun. And then I would twist the bag and it would just make this really, really nice shape. And we would steam it. And that would be something our family would eat on the weekends. And that was probably my first dish that I really felt proud of. And she told everyone that I made them. And I think that's what really catapulted my love for food and love for cooking. So that's like dumplings? It's like a dumpling, but it's bigger. If a dumpling was bigger and could be a meal, like you would eat one dumpling and it would be filling, that's the dish. That's bang bao. Yeah. I didn't think about calling it a dumpling, but it is essentially. It's in dough and it's steamed. <laughs> what age did you decide to take cooking more professional? I was in college. So I was always told to go to school, go to college, and I wanted to finish college and I felt like it was more for my family. But when I was about 21 was when I was in my last year of college and I walked into a bakery and it just hit me. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I spent the last year of college trying to finish college, but also put all my energy towards my next step, which was going to be going to culinary school. What college did you go to? I went to Louisiana State University and I then moved back to New Orleans and went to a community college for culinary school, but I only went for a semester because they required us to work while we were in school. And I was learning so much working at restaurants that I decided to just skip paying for school and just learn from the chefs. I realized that I was paying for people to teach me how to cook when there was restaurants that were willing to pay me to teach me how to cook. And so I didn't finish culinary school, but I was very particular with who I worked for. And that's really what helped my career. 
What was your first restaurant you cooked in? The first one is a very touristy restaurant called Palace Cafe. I was a server there, so I was like serving tables, but then I transitioned to the back of house, which is the kitchen staff, and I did pastries. So that was my first kitchen job. And then I started working for a bunch of other different chefs, chefs that really inspired me. And I figured out my way to move to New York and I worked here as well. Of all the places you worked, which one was your favorite? My most favorite spot that I worked at at the time is Coquette. Coquette, I worked for a year right before I moved to New York. And it was a very fun and exciting restaurant in New Orleans. We used to buy everything from the farmers and the farmers will pull up to the restaurant with their trucks and the chefs will get on the trucks and we would just pull whatever we thought looked good and we would make a menu. Our menu changed every day. And I was very young. I was maybe 24, which might not seem very young to you, but I was 24 and it was so exciting. We were very passionate. It was like the staff was very young and ambitious and we made really delicious food. And I learned how to cook a lot of different things at that restaurant because it was such a small restaurant. I look at that memory of working at that place very fondly. Being that you're from Louisiana, was it hard to learn other cooking styles? I come from a very culinary rich place. So there's so many different influences from different countries and different cultures that kind of all meld and make up the food in New Orleans. So I feel very grateful to come from such a place like that. I think that it wasn't hard knowing how to cook Vietnamese food because I grew up with it and knowing how to cook New Orleans food, which is very French focused, Spanish, German, Italian, West African, Caribbean. You kind of learn all these methods and There's so many different ways to cook. And so I feel like I didn't really have trouble learning how to cook other things. So Nini, I lived in Louisiana for some time. Do you have any Cajun influences? Maybe Delani can learn a little of those differences between Creole and Cajun. Alice, you really was a time where I really truly understood the difference between Cajun and Creole cooking. And I think that it all comes down to one ingredient, the tomato. (laughs) If you put tomato in stuff or if you don't, Cajuns don't put tomatoes in their jambalaya, in their gumbo, and you put in etouffee because that's what makes it red. But but in the Creole version, they usually have tomatoes. So that is probably the like hot topic between it. I don't want to say I'm an expert, but a big difference in the Creole cooking and Cajun cooking is Cajun cooking stems from the French Acadian. You want to develop color into everything that you make, the roux, you know, sauces. I love like rice and gravy. And when you think of classic French cooking, it's like completely opposite. You don't want to have the color. You don't want to have the deep, dark flavors. And so that's what I associate with Cajun cooking. And with Creole cooking, I think is more West African influence. That is what really makes it so much more different. And it's the inclusion of tomatoes, which is very prominent in West African cooking. There's so many similarities. So I understand why food media kind of groups them together, but there is a lot of difference too. And it all depends on what neighborhood you grew up in. And, you know, everyone's family puts something different in the pot. 
that we all call a gumbo. I think it's a very beautiful thing. And I think that there's no one way to make anything. And as the city and the state gets more diverse, the food evolves. And I think it's very important that it does. I didn't know tomatoes made a big difference in Cajun food. That's the thing I see people troll the most on the internet. It's like, that's not jambalaya. Why did you put tomato in it? And it's like Creole people or New Orleanians really put tomatoes in Lafayette. They do not. There's more differences, but I think that is like the biggest difference that like people will stand by. It was like, which line do you stand behind? I really, you know, enjoy going to farmer's markets and food markets. And it looks like you really enjoy that too. Where around the country are your favorite markets? Growing up in Louisiana, we do have great produce. We get strawberries twice a season. And there's one farmer's market that I really enjoy there in Mid-City, but nothing beats the Union Square's farmer's market. I think it's iconic. I might be biased, but I've lived here for almost a decade. And I never get tired of it. I'm going to get a lot of slack for this, but... (laughs) New Jersey corn is pretty much like the sweetest corn in America. I love New Jersey corn, tomatoes, and peaches. So good. I love ripe vegetables and fruits. I'm all about using your nose. And if it smells like whatever fruit it's supposed to be, it's most likely going to be delicious. And I wish more people were a little bit more picky when they pick their fruit, but I guess everyone has to buy the not so great fruit and I will always be the one buying the best. Wonderful. Did you get to tour around the country or world? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So after working in restaurants in New York, I worked for a pop-up company called Dinner Lab. I wasn't one of the touring chefs, technically, I help execute all the dinners for all of the like touring chefs. And that was probably the best experience I had because normally chefs don't get to travel very much. And I got to travel to different cities, sometimes three cities in one week. And I'd have to help a chef create a five course menu and execute it for 120 people in different cities. It's like dinner impossible. It was a crash course for me, for cooking, you know, when you give any chef opportunity to do their five best dishes, they're going to show you all kinds of different techniques. And I learned so much in that one year. I probably also aged so much in that one year because I worked so hard, but I would not trade that experience for anything else. I think that was when I really learned how to be a chef. That's when I became way more dynamic and good at thinking on my feet. And it was like training for top chef. What dish led you to get selected for Top Chef? There was not one particular dish that got me on Top Chef. I think it was a variety of things. When you sign up to try out to be on Top Chef, there's a couple of criteria. So like you make dishes, sometimes there's times where producers will try your dish, but it's TV And you have to be able to cook and talk at the same time. You have to be prepared to be under very stressful situations. And and you have to think very quickly on your feet. So Because it is a competition. And I think that when I was trying out, I kind of met those criteria. But it's also partially with your personality too. Like you have to have the personality for it. And I think I was just wacky enough that they picked me. 
What was the best thing about being on Top Chef? I think the friends that I've made, it's like summer camp for chefs. We're not, not allowed to have phones. We don't have TV. We don't have anything to entertain us. But you have 16 chefs who all love to cook all in one house. And we're all having this shared experience. And so we get to bond over our past, like what our aspirations are. And so I got to become friends with a lot of people and I get to visit them anytime I go into a city that have so many now. And it's overlapped with different seasons of Top Chef. Once you are in that Top Chef family and more seasons come, you're adding more people to it. We've all experienced this like unique experience that no one else has had. So it's like, we bond over that. And I think that is probably the best part about Top Chef. What was the most stressful situation? I think the most challenging part of Top Chef is, of course, the episodes that I was eliminated on. So like Restaurant Wars is very hard, but I think it's really not getting in my head. So like when you're competing and you're on TV and you're in these situations, it's so stressful and you second guess yourself. And that is where it all crumbles. You can't second guess yourself. You need to be confident in what you make, know who you are and know what tastes good to you. And you can just only hope that other people will get it. And if they don't, it's not the end of the world. It's just a hand select few people in the world that might not like your dish, but there's people out there that would. What is the biggest challenge in becoming a chef? I think that the biggest challenge in becoming a chef would be to know that is not as glamorous as what people think it is. People think that being a chef is like cool, but it's a lot of work. And when you think about it, when people are celebrating and, you know, partying, you're in the kitchen working. I think that's probably the hardest thing about being a chef. But it's really hard for me to say that because I, I get to do what I love and it brings me a lot of joy. So there are some difficult things, but for the most part, I'm very grateful that I get to do something I really like. That's good. I noticed that you originally started as a pastry chef. What made you want to go into savory cooking rather than continuing with the pastry cooking style? I started with pastry because I didn't know anything about it. So when I went to culinary school, I started in pastries because I wanted to understand the science of food, which I'm very thankful that I did. I'm grateful that I started in the pastry world because you learn the chemicals that make cakes rise, yeast, and all of these things. And I can apply it to savory cooking. Now I switched to savory cooking after I worked in a couple of restaurants in New York. And it was because I didn't want to limit myself. One, it's more common for women to join the pastry team than the savory cooking line because I think like the hours are a little different and it's just like it's a lot of science and precision. I don't know why women usually gravitate towards the pastries, but I didn't want to just be another woman chef who's a pastry chef. I wanted to be more dynamic. I wanted to learn more and express my creativity in more than just like with sugar. And so I went into savory cooking because I really wanted to share my Vietnamese food with people. Do you think being a woman in the cooking industry is hard? If so, why? 
I do think that it is harder to get more respect that we deserve in the kitchen as women. I think that it's always been a male dominant field, but now I think things are changing. And I think that people are seeing that when women are in leading positions in the kitchen, that employee retention is higher. People don't quit their jobs as much because it's led in a different way. It's not so macho, like extreme and abusive. (laughs) But I think that for me, I, as a woman, I've had like trouble in certain situations in cooking. But for the most part, I feel like if I didn't let it bother me, I would just let it go. I just pretend like it didn't happen. Maybe that's not that great, (laughs) but I was too ambitious to let anything get in my way, whether I was a girl or a boy. What advice would you have for a young woman like me to start cooking and becoming a chef? I would say be creative. Don't let people tell you how to make food. Be open and absorb all the information you can. And this doesn't only apply to just cooking. Always be hungry to learn it does pay off to think outside of the box. So don't think that there's only one way to make something because that's what's going to make you unique is your creativity, whatever you might learn and absorb and how you adapt and use that information that's unique to you. And so keep that and stay true to yourself and know what tastes good to you and like stick with that. It sounds weird. Like don't ever cook for someone else. Don't ever cook for someone else's palate. Don't cook something because you think that they will like it. Cook something that you like. It's very intimate to cook something and then like share it with someone. And it's very vulnerable. You can be very vulnerable when you do it. But I think that when you stay true to yourself and you're like, this is good to me, most likely other people are going to think the same. So always trust your intuition and your taste buds when you're making something. Are you interested in learning how to cook and be a chef? I wouldn't say become a chef, but I like cooking. Do you cook a lot with your family? Yes. Is there a special dish that you like to help your family make? Stewed chicken. I love stewed chicken. It's so comforting. So Nene, I have a question. If you could cook something you love for someone either alive or who's passed on, who would you want to share a meal with? And what would you want to talk about at that meal? I think this might be a little cliche, but I really thought that I would meet Anthony Bourdain in my life. Like most of my friends have met him. I never got to meet him, but I just remember being a kid and seeing him going and traveling in Vietnam and coming to New Orleans and the Cajun country and seeing how much he appreciates the cultures that are like the fabric of my being. And I would love to share a meal with him and just talk about it because I think we both appreciate it. And I think that it would be really cool. (laughs) Our last question that we ask all our guests is if you could give advice to yourself when you were 13, what would that advice be? I still give this advice to like my, you know, 30 something year old friends, but it's not to care so much what other people think. Do you be true to yourself? I think that is like the key to happiness is to not care 
what everyone else is thinking. Only care about how you feel. Of course, like don't hurt other people's feelings or anything like that, but don't worry about what other people think. People are probably not thinking about you when it comes down to it. And I think I was always so nervous about, oh, what did they think about me? Or, oh, they must think that I'm this way. No one's paying attention. So as long as you're not doing harm to other people, no one's paying attention whether you like mess something up or not. And it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. Nini, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I would like to thank my co-host, Delani. I think you were amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I feel very honored. And it was really nice meeting you all. You too, Nini. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gastic. My co-host today was Delani from PS46M in Manhattan. She was assisted by Deshana Dawson. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by David Hoffman and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.